Welcome to Digiday Live, our podcast where we bring you the best sessions from our many summits around the world. I'm Aditi Sangal, and today I'm bringing you a session from the Digiday Hot Topic event on subscriptions and commerce that we held in New York City on February 26th. In theory, a flexible paywall allows a publisher's audience to develop a bit more of a habit, hit advertising campaign goals more easily, and test out more hypotheses. But they also risk confusing readers. Hear from Jason Silva, General Manager of Consumer Marketing Revenue at New York Magazine, speak about their decision to go flexible. So I'm Jason Silva from New York Magazine. Uh, we are, as Max said, we're, we're 12 weeks into a digital subscription launch. Um, which means I can't wait to be here next year and think back to how confident I sounded 12 weeks into digital subscription product. Um, it's going very well. We, just, we made the decision to, instead of a fixed meter or premium versus free, uh, to take into account a lot more variables in the decision of the behaviors that suggested someone was a potential subscriber versus just someone reading content. Let me find that clicker. Okay, New York Magazine, in case you're not as familiar, um, you probably know the 50-year-old the magazine delivered bi-weekly, but digitally it's actually five different verticals. Strategist, uh, all things shopping, how to shop the internet better. Uh, daily Intelligencer, actually now Intelligencer, which is uh, the take on news and criticism of Washington and Hollywood and actually less Hollywood, Silicon Valley. Vulture is Hollywood. Um, the Cut is at the forefront of all things women media, women's media, and Grub Street is food. So all in that network is about 40 million uniques. Um, part of the decision to go dynamic or flexible is that quite a few of those readers identify more with that sub-brand than they do for the entire network. And the product we're offering, the subscription we're offering, is access to the entire network. I'll just say one thing, actually, before I get started, is that there's no such thing as like a universal truth. You know, there's, there's not a, a golden playbook to do this the right way. The key is to ask the right questions uh, and constantly get a little bit smarter each month. So the questions that led us to launch a dynamic paywall, the first is, will your users, the majority of your users truly say they can't live without your product? But be really honest with yourself about this. Um, is there no direct competitor? Um, for most general interest magazines or most general interest content, the answer is no. The second part is, will it help their career? We were just hearing about the Digiday subscription. You know, chances are that helps your career. Uh, the calculus of whether you should subscribe or not is a lot easier if it helps your career. Uh, that's where B2B publishing has an advantage here. That's where the FT and the journal are so far ahead of us. Um, lastly, do you care about traffic? Um, do you care about that comm score number? Uh, either for the purposes of a ad business uh, or for social or cultural capital, like relevance, essentially. Um, so New York Magazine, our answers were hmm, no, no, yes. Um, because while we wanted to build this booming subscription business, I didn't want to ruin our ad business, and I didn't want to ruin our e-commerce business. Um, I truly believed you, you sh this is diversification of revenue and not just replacement. So we thought about dynamic paywall. So what do we mean by that? Like I said earlier, changing 
the amount of free content a user can consume before they're asked to subscribe based on any observable behavior. Um, quite importantly, it's never a surprise, though. Um, one of the criticisms of these, this concept is that people will just hit a wall uh, as opposed to a countdown. Um, we programmed it that you'll always get a warning. Um, because the reality is, is that unless you force registration, you can never really control how much free content someone reads. Cross-device, cross-browser, incognito, whatever. Um, so it's, it's a myth that that, that number is, is meaningful. Second, it's been reported, tested, and I, I believe it, that people tend to ration their consumption if they know they have one left. Um, what's today, the 26th or something? So Friday is the first. If you see a story that you want to read and you know you have one story left, maybe you'll save it for Friday if you knew you had one left. We want to avoid that kind of behavior. Um, to me, it's very meaningful that when you try Netflix out for a month, they don't say you can watch four movies and three television shows because that's not an accurate representation of what it is to be a Netflix subscriber. So in the business of dynamic paywalls. It's all about taking the hint. Um, I learned this um, from the worst job I ever had uh, in high school, which was working retail during the holiday season. Um, if anyone's ever worked in retail, uh, you know that, well, you're being tracked for sales, and most people in a store don't want to be bothered. In fact, I would say like 85% of people just want you to leave them alone. Uh, out of those 85%, I'd say half of them become hostile if you say anything. Um, so very quickly, you start learning about taking the hint. Someone's on their cell phone. The last thing you want to do is try to talk to them. Um, someone's carrying shopping bags, and suddenly they're looking at sizes of sweaters. That's a person you might want to say, you know, can I help you? Can I get your fitting room, et cetera, et cetera. That's the inspiration for taking a hint. So shopping bags, in, in the world of... of Paywall, what are the hints you should be paying attention to? And now again, I also come back to this point about there's no such thing as universal rules for this kind of stuff. This all should differ based on who you are as a publisher. You can imagine being New York Magazine, while not restricted to New York, is really for people who live in cities. Um, and again, I don't mean to be restricted to them, but it's generally who our target audience is. So the concept of where you are when you're reading our content is very meaningful to us. We should be taking that into account when we're thinking about access rules. Um, time of day. Um, you know, are you the kind of place that um, enjoys long weekend, or sort of long reads on the weekend? Are you the kind of place that's up to the minute political news? Um, you know, for instance, the uh, Oscars is Sunday, right? So Vulture has a ton of stuff first thing in the morning. That makes the most amount of sense. Someone reading that right there, as opposed to someone reading that later in the day, that should tell you something about those two different people. An obsessive person about movies versus someone's like, eh, let's see what happened. Um, content types. Again, no universal rule for this, but to me it was very meaningful that someone who's reading, I don't know, let's say like a one-year-old recap of Game of Thrones, I just back to them, uh, a one-year-old recap of like Walking Dead um, in the middle of the night, like on an amp, uh, browser uh, versus someone who's reading like something we're going to nominate for an ASME award, like a real long-form piece of journalism we're proud of. Um, not that I'm not proud of the recap, but 
reading that story should be more meaningful towards whether you're going to be a subscriber or not someday. I mentioned length of story. That's also very meaningful. Um, you know, a, a quick 300-word take on the latest Kardashian thing um, versus, you know, a 4,000-word story, a cover story, um, should tell you something about that person's interest in paying for this product. Refers, um, again, if you sort of force rank them, you think newsletters and direct traffic are towards the top most meaningful, theoretically, and stuff like um, certain uh, Facebook refers or maybe Flipboard or something else might be lower. Uh, but again, not universal. Um, devices, as you can imagine, um, people tend to consume more on their phones and convert more on their desktop. Uh, it's, you know, and the easy answer to that is, well, it's so much easier to convert on your desktop, which I think is m partly true, but if you um, account for time of day, uh, those percentages don't change a whole lot, meaning, like, you're not holding your laptop in line at Starbucks. And, like, that moment of your day, there's no way you're going to pay for something. You're just not in conversion mode. And browsers, you know, um, you know again, not universal, but... What a Chrome user versus Safari and what version of those you're using uh, is a data point you should be using to think about the person's likelihood to subscribe. I mentioned time of day. This is something that, that fascinates me, is that if you map uh, on the gray bar the percentage of our total consumption that happens in those hour blocks, and if you map that versus the time of day people convert, they sort of match except for like two times of day, which from 6 to 11 in the morning, we get a ton of people reading our stuff, but almost no one pays for something that early in the day, at least New York, New York Magazine. Um, whereas 4 to 7, you know, it's still a good time of day for us for consumption, but it is our peak time for conversions. So that's meaningful. Um, and how you think about marketing, camp marketing promotions, email drops, um, if you're sharing inventory with uh, programmatic, let's say, overriding that programmatic, doing a homepage takeover, whatever is your best tool for driving subscriptions, you should be thinking about the time of day. Um, one important thing on this kind of data is to not learn the wrong lesson. Um, you don't ever want this thing to just match. Um, you, know, you could look at that and say, well, I need to drive more conversions in the morning. How do I drive more conversions in the morning? I'll, I'll run sales in the morning. To me, that's the wrong lesson. If I look at this, I'm thinking, okay, the morning people love reading our stuff, I would never have a paywall. Um, I just have all of my subscription prompts point to a one-click newsletter sign-up uh, or podcast downloads or something. Um, and I should know, with enough testing, what kinds of stories produce the most amount of traffic, um, and I should be publishing them then. Um, and potentially, the late, later part of the day, really thinking about what are the best representations of me as an institution, uh, what are our best examples of journalism, perhaps even archival stuff that I want to resurface in those hours of the day that I know people are most likely to pay for something. Here I'm stealing from the New York Mag um, matrix. The, um, and I've charted subscribers versus visitors uh, in geography. Um, uh, a font mistake there with DC. Um, Florida has more readers than D.C. Makes sense. There's like 30 times the amount of people. Um, D.C. has more subscribers than Florida. So in other words, total readership in a geography doesn't necessarily match subscribers. Um, 
the size of the, 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 the dot there implies our conversion rate. Um, so looking at this, um, you're trying to optimize for conversions based on people coming from the places that tend to um, prefer your product. Uh, makes a ton of sense. All right, this, uh, this representation is supposed to be like traffic or data. You know, you've got a bunch of visitors to your site. Um, they're giving you signals. You're not quite sure what they mean, um, but you're trying to figure out like what's our subscription model? What's our paywall rules? Um, so the question is, well, what are you trying to, what's your output? In the top right there, I put some suggested outputs, which would be number of subscribers. That's obvious. Average day of subscription. This is also meaningful because every day early in the month they're subscribing. That's if it's a monthly subscription, it's that much more revenue in that calendar year. So earlier in the month, better. Um, total page views. This is basically the loss you're giving to your ad business by shutting off access. So you want to minimize the page views you lose. But also I think about RPM because the reality is, is that no one monetizes their site evenly, right? Certain sections are worth more than others. Certainly certain devices, geographies, the same way subscriptions work. So I also want to know... <laughs> Am I also restricting access to the, to the sections of the site that we monetize the highest? I don't want to do that, especially if they're big sponsorships. I mentioned the Oscars the other day. Chances are, I don't know if this is true, Vulture had some sort of sponsorship around the Oscars from someone. I know they have a Game of Thrones thing coming up. Uh, I don't want to restrict any access to that because our RPM on those pages is actually higher than the subscription RPM, theoretically. So taking that into account is important. So say you have all this data and you put up a wall somewhere. Um, and, you're, and you've done the modeling and you feel good about what that number should be. And you've optimized for those right things. And now you're starting to understand well, what those signals are for high, medium, and low. The problem with this, though, is that after the month, um, you're always sort of asking, like, well, did I leave some subscribers on the table? And did I leave some ad revenue on the table? And I would think, chances are, you probably did. You might be happy with what this number is, but... Um, there's always the opportunity for more. So this got me thinking, all right, um, what's an example of like a data set that when looked at produces one result, but theoretically you could reprogram that data set any which way for different output. And I was remembered, now bear with me. I was reminded by this upshot piece around, after the election um, around how you could recut Pennsylvania to give you different results. Big disclaimer. This is not a political conversation about gerrymandering. It's just the, the exercise is true, which is if you don't change the actual underlying data set, but if you change the rules, the output is different. So that, as an exercise, would produce a paywall rule that looks something like this. So instead of having a flat number, you're much more dynamic in what that access rule should be. Now, as you can see, that was... That ticks off three of our four boxes. It's more subscribers. They actually subscribed at an earlier day because I recognized that demand earlier. My page views went down. You can't get everything right. That's okay because my RPM went up, up. So the point is that exercise or that equation would net out more total revenue than a flat model. There's a handful of other things you can add to metrics. You could add um, lifetime value. Chances are lifetime value for certain subscribers. Different offers are different. You could add that. Um, you could add discount codes because you know the easiest way to 
get more subscribers is to do discounts, um, but the churn is very high. So you can model all that kind of stuff out. This is a more simplified version of that. So now <laughs> this question of like the peril, I did say it was like 1% of this whole thing. Um, the problem with everything I just mentioned is it's all about finding existing demand. And there's only so long you can live on existing demand, right? Um, and if you're only ever fishing closest to the boat, that'll get you to some magic number, and then you'll plateau. Um, because you've over-rotated for the signals you've seen. I might never have a subscriber in Florida if I just keep doing this. You know, if I never want to show a paywall that early in the morning, I'll never understand of like, well, what does a person in the morning expect from me? Because I'm just optimizing for conversions. So the important point is that optimizing, on whatever time frame is important to you, is not the same as learning. Um, so it's important to note that all of the tweaks to the paywall I just mentioned um, aren't happening mid-month in real time. Um, because the most important thing to me maybe don't tell my CEO this, is not how many subscribers we get right now. It's how quickly I can learn about how to get the greatest amount of subscribers at some date in the future. So unless I'm constantly learning about the signals of why would someone pay for my product um, and how can I impact that theoretically, hopefully not through just price and, and special discounting, but through meaningful connections, the quicker I can build a meaningful, sustainable business. So essentially, I think about my prospect pool in tranches, right? The first, group, the first group of people, I'm 12 weeks into this, is just about finding demand, right? It's already there. They're just looking for an offer. The second group of people is like, okay, now I'm looking for a habit. So you can do those things by encouraging repeat visits, getting newsletter signups, podcasts, video, et cetera, et cetera. The third is really looking for a reason to subscribe. That's the hard stuff. How do you convince someone that it's worth paying for content, it's worth paying for news, et cetera, et cetera? Um, the fourth and fifth, I have no idea. We'll figure that out some other time. <laughs> That's it. That's all for this episode. Thank you for listening. If you liked our show, then please give us a review and rating on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast. It really helps new listeners discover the show. And I'll see you back here soon with another episode.